Few things are harder for an active Latter-day Saint than watching members that they love walk away. Be they siblings or kids that just either resign their membership or no longer believe. And we are watching across the globe so many that are doing that exactly. The Book of Mormon gives us some glimpses into it. Alma responding to Alma the Younger. King Mosiah looking at his sons. And yet the circumstances today seem different, more complex, and for a variety of different reasons. Join us today as we look at Richard McLaren's Stages of Faith and how it resonates with those that are struggling. And it especially emphasizes the responsibility that it places on those who are active to not underreact nor overreact, but find a way to do so in love and relationship. Join us today and see what you think. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Just a second to Mosiah 27. Okay, and we'll go to... Okay, yeah. Verse 8. Now, if we're in here, though, we should be able to expand this. Uh, and there. Okay? Can you see that all right back there? Okay. Uh, now, the sons of Messiah, these are the king's sons, were numbered among the unbelievers, and also one of the sons of Alma uh, numbered among them, he being Alma after his father. Um, and of course, these are like boys in their teens, right? No, we think they're much older. The, uh, if they're 17 years in the wilderness, Alma, Alma the Younger has the ability to maybe be in his 20s or 30s or maybe even older. Okay. Uh, sons of Messiah were numbered among the unbelievers. Uh, and uh, nevertheless, he, Alma the Younger, became a very wicked and adulterous man. And he was a man of many words. And he did speak much flattery to the people. Yes? Much, but it's idolatrous, not adulterous. Yeah, idolatrous. What did I say? Adulterous. Uh, did I really? They're kind of related. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I thank you. Idolatrous. Um, and he was a man of many words, and he did speak much flattery to the people. Therefore, he led the people to do after the manner of his iniquities. Okay. Now, 
that's one thing. If if that's if that's the lifestyle and that's where you're going and and uh, that's what you want to do, but he became a great hindrance to the prosperity of the church of God, stealing away the hearts of the people, causing much dissension among the people. Um, now, that's the question as to why why it would cause dissension. Because again, if people want to leave, they can leave, and I and and we'll get we'll get the old saw out of the out of the way. Well, they can leave the church, but they can't leave the church alone. So we don't have to say that. Okay. Now, why would it cause dissension uh, among the among the ranks? They're leaving. Yeah. Well, these people that are leaving, they're all members of families. Yeah. And yeah, so, uh, you know, and prominent families in some cases there. Right, and so when when Alma the younger is teaching their kids that hey, you know, the church is is not a, bit, a value, and stuff is cool, and let's go after stuff instead of the church. And and we can make some money off of this thing, which again is interesting. But the the, the result though is that you're right, they're going back into the church. And, and here's the problem. If you follow, um, they, they're seeking in verse 10 to destroy the church. Not just we're going to have our own church, but we're now going to try and destroy the church we came from. Yeah. I had a sister that was led astray by um, a book and a group of people that it was, it was a type of argument for it again. It was meant for members of the church to you are now special and above others, and it sort of took the church's doctrines to another level. Oh. And uh, that can cause a lot of dissension where it's close but not quite. Do you believe this new stuff? Yeah. In some, in some ways, there's always, there's always been some pressure within any church, but and our church has been, I think, especially susceptible at this to times, to be, how do I be more special than you? How do I be more righteous than you? So that's why we got for a while, it's kind of died down a little bit, but there really was a push not that long ago for uh, people to say to other members, the dividing line is how much you've put away your two-year supply. It's about emergency preparedness. And the prophets have preached about this forever. And now we're going to know the moment is coming when Sunday on the pulpit they'll say, it's too late now. Monday morning, those that have their two-year supply, the trucks will be at the stake center. They're going to load you and your supplies. And they're going to haul you off to tent cities out in the middle of Nevada. Uh, and the righteous will be there because... The, the righteous that listen will be spared from the calamities that are about to come. If you've got your two-year supply, you and your supplies will be safe out there. And the other lesser, less obedient members will be the ones that will fry. Uh, but it's really a way of saying, I, I really am more attentive to the gospel than you are. Is this related to the Hailbop comment? There was some of that, but, but this is another group, went by a name, but it was really prominent, it was especially prominent in southern Utah. Yeah, if, 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 if it is related to a comet, stay away from those kind of things. But this, is, this took it more. This like, we go crazy cult versus 
wow, it's amazing how many people really signed on to this thing. But, um, but in some cases now, it's like the church has now gone astray and everybody is leaving. But then they turn their cannons around. I'm going to talk about that in just a, just a second, okay? Uh, to the point where in, in Zarahemla, um, let's see, what they needed to do was, verse 3, the king had to respond by saying, there's a strict command throughout all the churches. There should be no persecutions among them. Um, verse 2. Uh, a proclamation that they should not any unbeliever persecute any of those who belong to the church. So apparently it had gone to a level of contention to where they had to make a state mandate that says you can't attack and persecute. Which gives you some sense about what was some of the dissensions going on, Right? All right. Well, I don't want to go too far because we're going to talk about Nahorism probably in another two weeks, probably. But um, so that said, uh, I wanted to back up here. Well, let me let me just pitch in. You asked at the beginning, is there anything you know over the weekend or what? Yes. So there was a BYU versus Stanford football game. Yes, the the the, the, the Saints versus the Heathens. Yes. Band for Stanford had a skip mock of uh, LDS temple wedding with two women. The band did that? Yes, they did. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. I, I know a lot of times when, um, when BYU basketball plays, sometimes the student section will all dress up in white shirts and have little black name tags. But that seems like that takes it. So that maybe that's a good example about what we're talking about. That's amazing. I didn't, I hadn't heard about that. I'm going to have to go check now. Yeah. Okay. So I like this. I like this model. It's not perfect. But uh, a few years ago, when I at, at Education Week, uh, when I when I used this model. Uh, the response was pretty overwhelming from people that were saying, yeah, that, that resonates, that makes sense uh, with us. Uh, and the funny thing is, the, this actually comes from a, um, a former evangelical uh, Christian by the name of Richard McLaren, uh, who did a good job, and, and yet, as he's, as he's gone through this, we, as, as members of the church, we go, oh, I think he captured it, uh, captured some level of it. But, so let me just suggest... Uh, he spotted in his uh, evangelical rigid upbringing some stages that he would want of faith that people would go through where it would build on each other. Not replacing the one, but more like tree trunks, rings of a tree trunk that would just grow outside of that. Um, and because this has been helpful even in my, uh, in my office work, I'm going, to try, I'm going to post this on the website uh, when we get done here. But... Uh, he noticed uh, four stages of belief in people that have really struggled uh, with religion in general. Uh, first step is what he, uh, he identifies as simplicity. And in simplicity is where um, a lot of times we're there as uh, when we're younger. And this is what I call life inside the fortress. I grow up inside the church, inside a faith 
organization inside the fortress. Uh, now, when we're inside, there, there's actually a lot of dualistic thinking. It's us versus not us. There's the us's and the them's. Me and the others. Okay? And so we start to we start to segregate a little bit in our thinking and say it's like the believers and the non-believers, the us and thems. So I've got to check you out. Are you one of me or one of them? And if you're one of them, I'm not really interested in thems, I'm just interested in me's. Okay? So I'm gonna and so this is life inside the fortress. In fact, I don't even really care to know what other churches or other the, the thems believe. If, if they're, they're them, then I just don't care that much. I'm just worried about me and me and my stuff. Okay? So I have little concern inside simplicity. And that means that it, it tends to lead to kind of a lot of black and white thinking. Me good, them bad. Not that we do this politically these days. <laughs> You know, as, I, as I've joked, you know, as we get more polarized in everything that we're doing, certainly a lot of that is in our politics. We want to know who you voted for, and that becomes an us and them. You're one of them, so believe that. Well, I'm not interested because I'm a me. And this is my beliefs, and me right, and you wrong, and it's just very black and white. Yeah. So I, I don't think, even think politics is the main thing for that anymore today. It's, it's our web browsers. It's, it's uh, meta. Yes. Things like that. Boy, I think so too. And, and in fact, like I've, like I've talked about before, given the algorithms that are in Google, if, if, I, if I plug in the word Mormon and you plug in the word Mormon, we may get two different searches. Well, if you quit reading all that, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. But if someone who's not Mormon plugs in Mormon, you know, in other words, it's based on what they think you want, and they're feeding you. And then on Facebook, your your feeds on there are going to be people that are like you, and you're going to see less and less of people not like you. So you start to live inside a a group think tank of this is just us and the whole world must believe this way and only the crazy people are thems. Okay? And so we're in, and that's, that's simplicity. And sometimes in our faith journey then, uh, it's, it's also, if you think about it, it's a very simple, uncluttered faith. I'm not worried about uh, anybody else. I'm just going to focus on my stuff. Okay? So that's, that's stage one. Simplicity. Stage two, a lot of times as we grow and get more information, sometimes you'll see it with, with uh, kids that maybe go off to college or we just get older and a little bit more mature. Now we move into the next stage, uh, which McLaren called complexity. And in complexity, I'm still inside my fortress, but now I want to know about the thems. Why? Because my job is now to, def I'm not just inside the fortress, my job is to protect the fortress. I will be a defender of the fortress. Uh, and so, so what that's going to mean then, is that if I'm going to protect the fortress, I'm, I'm filled with a lot of zeal. 
about how uh, I love the fortress. I'm going to protect the fortress. I'm going to protect everything in it. And I'm now going to take umbrage at anybody who would attack the fortress. Uh, and so I'm going to do that with a zeal. Uh, now, a lot of times on a fortress like this, uh, you also have the what I call the gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers are the gatekeepers of the belief of the fortress. So they're, they're, on the, they're standing on top of the towers and they're watching for any enemies coming in here. You know, um, if you're not sure what a gatekeeper looks like, again, just go on Facebook and say, what do you think about Mormons? And you will get gatekeepers of both sides that will show up. I have a firm testimony. Joseph Smith is a prophet. I'm going to defend it. Now on the other side, the church is a cult and it's in billions of dollars. And it's like they're having to defend. We'll talk about this a little bit more in just a second. Because we're talking about contention. Okay? But gatekeepers are the gatekeepers of the orthodoxy, of the belief, of the doctrine. And they're going to attack vociferously anybody else who may, who may come in their way. Now, part of the... Re why? Why would they do that? Well, we have to engage with them. And now you don't just not care about the thems. Now you've got to know what thems think. Why? Because as when I'm in complexity, my job is to contend, defend, capture, and convert. <laughs> And, and for a lot of us, this moment of complexity comes as we serve missions. My job is to go out into the world, know enough about the world. I need to know enough about Catholicism to have several different scriptures ready to go for Jehovah's Witnesses, for Catholics, for born-agains. Pull out the Bible. We're ready to go. I will defend to the death my fortress. Is this category also where fear steps in because because what they believe is so different from what you believe that there's a little bit of fear and so they're more defensive? Yeah, hold on to that idea okay. because, because in some ways we go from simplicity where I just don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I retire. I don't care. <laughs> the world can go to heck. <laughs> uh, versus at this moment, now we go, there's a really emotional investment in, in this. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's pride and sometimes it's fear. I think you're right. That's another hand. Okay. So capture, defend, uh, contend, convert, uh, to go out, grab them, and bring them into the fortress. Because this is the only defense. Now, the church for years, uh, especially when it was isolated, like during the Civil War, especially 1800, the church is inside the fortress of the mountains. You know, oh Babylon, oh Babylon, we bid thee farewell. We're leaving the United States. You guys killed our prophets and you keep kicking us out. We're going to go to the safety of the mountains and we're going to be inside the fortress of the church. This was our fortress years, especially the 1800s. And we're just going to sit out the Civil War, by and large. Okay? Now, what we, what we are going to do, especially when the Civil War isn't being fought, now we're going to send out missionaries whose job is to do what? They're supposed to go out, contend, defend, capture, convert, and do what? 
Gather. gather. We're now to gather. And where's the gathering place? Zion. And Zion at that point was? Utah. Utah. If you join the church in Germany or Spain or Chile, now you have to go back inside the fortress, the only safe place, which is going to be inside the walls of the mountains, and you've got to be in Utah. And so from a mega point, you can see how the church kind of went through these stages a bit. Does that make sense? Okay. So in this complexity then, we, are, we become uh, very defensive of what's in there. Uh, and the only acceptable answer to this is, is that we've got to get you inside the fortress. Why? Because inside the fortress, built on our level of simplicity, we have all the truth. We have all the truth. Nobody else has truth. We're the one. If you're going to have truth, it's got to be inside our fortress. And sometimes we slide that direction... And, and, and sometimes, I, to be honest with you, I cringe a little bit when somebody says this, this, and they quote from the Doctrine and Covenants, this is the only true and living church on the face of the earth, meaning there is truth here. We ha we're the only ones that have the temple ordinances and, the, and authority. It's all true. But sometimes when we're hearing this is the only true and living church on the face of the earth, what else are we saying? Nobody else has truth. There is no Catholic scholar, there's no other scholar in any other church who has anything to teach me at all. C.S. Lewis. Well, C.S. Lewis, he's got to now be a Mormon, right? <laughs> Pull him into the church, he's joined on, on the other side. As opposed to you know, N.T. Wright, you know, my buddy. You know, I, I love N.T. Wright, but here's a guy who says, you know, I don't have to do, agree with everything, but he's teaching me things about Paul in the New Testament that is just amazing. And he'll never join the church in this life. Okay? Um, but now he's getting quoted in general conference. <laughs> right? Wow. You mean the apostles are learning something from scholars that aren't from BYU? Yeah, apparently. Okay? But that's that's we're two steps ahead sometimes yes sometimes so contend defend capture convert okay now here's the problem for a lot of people that have that struggle with the church who have left the church uh, all of this all of this zeal is emotional and it's investment and everything and that's fine until you start to learn out learn some things about the fortress or you learn some things about who built the fortress and they turn out to be kind of human <laughs> they kind of turn out to sometimes make mistakes they very loving well-intentioned people and sometimes they put the bricks in wrong <laughs> you know and realize that they w wish, wish the bricks would have been in different places okay uh, and so what happens though is that people as they engage in all of this then uh, now, now what uh, McLaren has noticed is they go from a, a system of complexity to perplexity and now the emotion changes and it goes from I'm defending the fortress to I'm not sure about the fortress to, I'm not sure about the founders of the fortress. 
and now the walls start to crumble. So the, so the fortress collapses and there's a lot of confusion and pain. I taught stuff, I believed stuff, now I think I might have been wrong or I think my parents might have been wrong or I think the prophets might have made a mistake or I think that God maybe might be different than what I... And you just watch, suddenly perplexity is about doubts. Now, that's a hard one, guys, in a, in a church that for decades and decades and decades we have stressed no doubts, absolute uh, certainty. Uh, what, what do we do with that? Because then you can't... You can't stand up in a... Can you stand up in a gospel doctrine class and express a doubt? I think that's true. Because we'll say, because what we say, doubt your doubt, so I'm not supposed to have doubts. But you're doubting. You start with the word doubt. But, but again, can you stand up in a gospel doctrine class and express a doubt without having, without having a gatekeeper on the other side of the classroom Better testimony to say, I have a firm conviction. You know, don't doubt. I know. I know. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I think, and I wish I had done a better job of it, but I think it's so important just at the very beginning to teach about the Spirit and how the Holy Ghost works into all of this. Because you will have all, of course you'll go to perplexity if you don't rely upon the Spirit to teach Yeah. And you have to start, you have to, that is the difference to me, because what you were recognized as truth once is still going to be truth. You were talking about gospel doctrine. We had a, um, I don't think, I think you and Cindy had already left. There was a single father in our gospel, th third Sunday lesson, mm -hmm. third, whatever, fourth Sunday lesson, whatever, talking about come follow me. And the, the instructor's doing a wonderful job of all the virtues of doing come follow me with your family. And he raises his hand and says, I get, you know, he gets his children on the weekend, every other weekend, trying to do come follow me, and they don't want any. <laughs> yeah. And I thought he was very brave to say that. To, to say come follow me isn't working for he me. Said, well, you know, he was perplexed, he wanted to do it. And as soon as, and I was one of the sisters, as soon as that meeting closed, Four or five sisters dashed over to him, and I, and I, first thing I said, you are very brave to say this. And then all these other sisters had ideas, and they just surrounded <laughs> him. So I think we should not be afraid to say, I don't understand, or this is not working for me, I need help. Yeah, and I think it's in that, I, I, I've mentioned before, every, every section of the Doctrine and Covenant started with a doubt and a question. <laughs> We don't know, we don't understand what we're supposed to do here. We don't get this. We're not quite sure. And then revelation and inspiration comes. But if, if Joseph Smith had said, I have an absolute certainty about everything, he'd never have asked. And, there, and we wouldn't have most of the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, if, if we're going to go down that road. But the problem with so many people that are struggling now is that now what they believed in zeal that emotional connection in zeal now goes to an emotional disrot, anger, sadness. Uh, and so sometimes it's anger and betrayal. And now they're just angry. And I don't know if any of you had that experience. I, I'm sure I'll end up talking to people probably in the next couple of weeks. 
This was the discussion at Thanksgiving. I love the church. Well, I think the church is now stupid. And I think, and, I, and we're off and running, and we're going to, and I'm angry. I'm angry about it. Um, I saw that the um, Salt Lake City May is probably the front runner to get the Olympics again in a couple of years. Front runner, okay? I remember what happened last time. You know, the church is going to come to the conference center. We're going to put on this great show and stuff like that. And the anger of people that, that were out picketing in front of all of that, as they do at General Conference, is, is not about, let's have a calm discussion about it. It's, it's anger. It's hurt. It's, it's either complexity or perplexity because they were members. Okay, and so you, there's a level of emotionality that starts to kick in. We'll talk about that in just a sec. Okay. I guess this is more fear. Yeah. Fear. Well, the, for one thing, is is dissonance. I believe one thing. Uh, now I'm questioning everything. Because right. because my experience, I don't know about yours, but an awful lot of people who leave the church don't say, "Well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and join join the Baptists." Oftentimes, if you look at them and you, and you look at the surveys being done, that if they're in if they're in perplexity, questioning mode, generally they're not even sure God exists. They they are also angry at God. They're angry. At, I'm not sure who God is. So it's like I'm going to throw everything out in that perplexity because now everything's on the table, and perplexity does that when the fortress falls. Well, I just can't understand why my sins. Why did God pick my sins? Wrong. Yeah, I like because my sins. <laughs> and they should get theirs. But, but my sins, God should just recognize those are the ones. I'm happy with. That <laughs> that's right. I'm happy. I'm happy with where I am. Right. So it's a question everything thing, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of agendas that go into that. Okay. Now, part of what uh, part of what McLaren has has uh, mentioned, and, and in his steps, and this is where I'm going to take one issue with him, just out of my own experience. The, for him, the goal is ultimately to get, that's harmony. <laughs> harmony. <laughs> ultimately is a reconstruction. And I think generally that's, that's the case. In, in a, in a harmony sense, uh, it becomes more about preserving relationships. We, love, we, love the, we may disagree with people, but the relationships are more important to us sometimes than the dogma. We wish they believed certain things. They're not going to believe certain things, but at the end of the day, I love them. I want to preserve the relationship rather than you no longer believe in the church. I'm kicking you out. Um, I'm going to talk, hold on to that idea. You're right. Because you, you're the question is, when we talk about dissonance with Alma the Younger, that's where I want to go. Okay? Because on our, on our side of things, they've left us. Our responsibility is to do those things that we can to preserve relationships so that there's a soft place that's always there for them. Okay? Uh, sometimes the struggle is going to be on their side, and I'll tell you why. Okay? So ultimately what we're trying to do is figure out ways to disagree, uh, 
agreeably, <laughs> without avoiding contention. And the Book of Mormon is full of don't contend, right? It's not about contention. It's not about, it's not about that, but it's about how do, we, how do we lovingly disagree with people but maintain the relationship in an atmosphere of, of respect uh, and, and not just respect and tolerance, but what can we learn from them? Like with, with N.T. Wright, I don't agree with everything that he, he has a limited knowledge about what happens after this life. But I learned so much from him about Paul and about uh, the New Testament. He's just a rich treasure trove. And I don't have to agree with him on everything, but I can spot those things. And, I would, and if he were anywhere close, I'd love to go to a lecture. And I think I would be uh, grown. But I, I think the key here, guys, is that when we are in this place, now we can learn from a Catholic scholar. Now we can learn from somebody in another church. We might even be able to learn, we learn some things from, from an atheist. Say, ooh, there, that's a good nugget. That, that, I, I like that. That can enrich my life. Okay? I think they do. And, and, if, we're, and if we're outside of, if, if, if we leave kind of the walls down, and the fortress is a group of people that are trying to reach out to the world. We have a gift to give to the world that we can't give if we're stuck in the fortress. And they have some things to teach us as long as we're not hiding behind the fortress walls. Does that make sense? And I think that's it's incumbent on us to be able to say, we have to get to a point where God so loves the world enough to say, I'm going to bless the world, and you guys are going to be the ones to bless it. But the world also has things to bless you with if we can be part of that. Okay? So, so here's the problem. So this should work, right? Everybody should now be in harmony. We get along with each other. Terrific. Where's the snag? Well, let me, let me introduce one other thing, and this is, this is one thing that... Uh, when I'm working with people that have some kind of anxiety or uh, panic attacks or things like that, I'm always talking about that when we feel threatened, we have four things that we do, four possibilities that we can do when, we're, when we feel attacked, we feel threatened. Anybody know what those are? Eat. Eat. <laughs> I'm going to have to add a fifth one. <laughs> I don't know why I've never added that one before. Eating should be top of the list. Eat and clean probably would be two of the things. Okay. <laughs> Eat. Okay. Fight. Flight. Freeze. Or appease. That's how we... Those are the four most prominent, and I need to add eight. Yeah. I think a lot of times the cancel culture is about uh, I will either fight you, I will stay and fight, or I will flight, and that's either me leaving, I'm going to avoid you. So to me, uh, flight is avoidance, and that means I don't want to come in contact with your ideas, your thoughts. Uh, in fact, I'll take it farther because of, well, hold on to that. We're, we're getting there. Okay. So we got that fight, flight, freeze, repeat. Got it? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so here's, here's what I think McLaren misses. And I think this is our experience, is it not, in the church. That when somebody has... The, the idea would be after a while in perplexity and questioning and struggling and everything that we go from perplexity down to harmony. My experience is that if that happens, that takes a really long time and many, many people don't go down to harmony. Uh, my experience is that they go backwards to complexity. In other words, uh, now that the walls have fallen, I find another fortress. And maybe it's kind of the anti-Mormon fortress, or it's the, the, the church as the abuser as the fortress, or the church as the corporate entity with billions of dollars that won't spend it the way I think they should spend it. Fortress. And we live inside that. Yeah. It's because we want a, a position that is, is defensible. And harmony is only a position that's defensible after you've been there. <laughs> when, when you're looking at it and you've not been there, you're like, that is not going to work. Well, because I want to be in a defense mode, and I think you're saying it well, that, that when we are in, when we're in the zeal of complexity, now we're defending and we're protecting and my eyes are lit and I'm just ready to go, right? Now, if I'm in perplexity, now I'm emotionally angry, hurt, sad, stuff like that. I go back to complexity because I'm still angry and upset and mad. The problem with harmony is that it is a calm, loving peaceful, rational discussion. And I can disagree with you on that, and I can agree that you believe this and that, but where are areas that we're in, we have in common? And I can't do that if I'm fired up and zeal and angry. Okay? I believe harmony, too, uh, includes... Uh, uh, oh, crap. I don't know if I but uh, acceptance. It is acceptance. Because, you know, and, and that for... I think us is a little hard to do because you have to be able to go, no, I still love you. I still love you. And I don't have to, ex and I don't have, but in order to accept you, I don't have to accept everything that you believe and everything that you're doing, but I need you to accept that I still love you and I value you and I'm going to connect with you, but I don't have to buy the entire package. And sometimes when people are in that complexity mode, now it's like they're going to do it from their complexity, which is, I want you to read everything I'm reading. I want you to listen to every podcast I'm listening to. I want you to be as angry at the church as I am, because if you're not, you're a true believing sheep Mormon, and you don't believe me, and, and that's the only way we can have harmony. And it's not harmony. It's just I'm wanting to capture and pull you into my angry fortress. It's not harmony. Okay, so I, I so acceptance. I'll, I'll accept you, but I don't have to accept everything you believe. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was say, harmony takes years. years and healing. Because I, I have two that have left, and one is gay, and we have a really good relationship now. But it has taken. I mean, he's thirty-eight now, and he right. came out when he was twenty-four. Yeah. That period of time, we've gone up. Again. I'll bet you have. Yeah. That's just a part of loving your child. Yes. And just going with the roller coaster. But but the definition of harmony is a challenge for because Latter-day Saints 
there's so many of them, I think, that in order to be harmonious with the LGBTQ, you have to not only accept their right to make those decisions, but you have to celebrate the decision right. they made. Yeah. And that's not... That's and, not and how we do that... and, and, and it is a very, it is a very, it's a very fine line. So, so when we talk about dissension and contention, which the Book of Mormon says, don't contend and don't dissent, you know, uh, our, our definition when we were as a church in simplicity in the mountains years ago, it was all built on, we will teach all exactly the same thing. There's never a doubt. We're all harmonious. We all look like Utah. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to establish a church in Chile and we want them to dress like us and look like us and sound like us and, you know, use the same language. And then we're going to build a church in Dallas and we don't have air conditioning in Salt Lake, so we're not going to have air conditioning in Dallas. <laughs> this is a harmonious, harmonious meant lockstep. And the church is really struggling with this now. And now you're starting to see things like... Um, if you in it in Africa, if you have drums that we don't do that in Salt Lake, so you don't do drums. And now that you're listening to the church going, local stuff might be okay. We may not do we may not do drums in West Jordan, but you might do it in Ghana. Okay, cool. That's different. Yeah. When uh, we were in South Africa, by the. Uh, the women were, when they had a dinner, a state dinner or award dinner, the women would come at two and three in the morning. Wow. To be able to use the one stone in the uh, chapel. And so when they were revamping the chapel, I went to the state president and I said, you must tell Salt Lake that we, there is no law against us cooking in the church, and the women need to have these yes. double refrigerators and double stoves. And I heard via the grapevine they did what I had asked. Did they do it right away, or did it take them a little while to get? I think they did it while they were doing this revamping. Yeah, yeah, right. So here, here's the problem that I see, guys. And, and I think this is something that, that every family or, or ward is really struggling with at the moment, is how, how do we connect with those we've lost? What, what's our role in this? And, and part of, and, and here's, here's the problem, I think, that when somebody was, goes back to being in complexity, now their job is to defend and contend and capture and convert people that are still in the church. And so here's my question. When you feel threatened, when somebody's attacking you or attacking the church that you love and believe, what do you do? Yeah. I tell them that I appreciate and honor their right to disagree with me. And I ask that they honor my right to disagree and not contend with them. Hold on to that when you're about four steps ahead. Because I think that's hard. I think it's exactly what needs to happen. There's no other way, it, in my mind, it can be done. But, but sometimes our response to somebody who has left the church and is wanting us to listen to stuff or read stuff, stuff like that, okay, 
depends on what stage you're in. Now, if you, if you in your life are kind of in a stage of simplicity, I, I don't want to really know what's happening outside of there. I'm happy where I am. Uh, you know, I just, I just go to the temple every week and I just, I'm not really interested in what's going on out there. Okay. Sometimes we, if, if we're not careful, we can do some quick judgment. And for years, it was real easy to be able to say if we were in simplicity, oh, they just want to sin. It's about sin. The only reason somebody would leave is they just want to sin. They just want to drink. They just want to, you know, sleep around. That's the reason. Okay? And just make a really fast judgment because they're thems. Of course the thems are going to do bad stuff. We wouldn't do that. But if you want to do that, you're going to be out in the world uh, and you're going to be a them. And you just want to sin. Or you just, you're, or you know what the other one is? You, uh, if you're learned, you think you're wise. So you just got smarter than everybody else. <laughs> So that's really, you just outsmart, you just smarted yourself outside the church. That, and there's like a quick, I got a quick answer, now I don't have to think about it anymore. I'm going to go back inside the fortress and be happy. Okay? Sometimes when we're in simplicity, we'll be really fast to do those, those kind of things. Those can really hurt. Oh man, and then we wonder why we're getting pushed back on their side, right? Now, what happens if you're somebody that's in complexity? And you, you're a defender, of the staunch defender of the faith. Contend. Now you're going to contend. Why? That's what you do. Yes. Yes. And so what's going to happen here is you send me a podcast, I'll send you a podcast. You left the church, I'll send you an Ensign article. And you need to read, you need to listen to this talk by Elder Holland, and that will actually turn it around for you. So I'm going to just bomb you with scriptures and quotes and memes and stuff. I'm just lobbing grenades, you know, and one of those has got a stick. And, and I'm defending back and forth. And oh my gosh, you know when when I when I talk to people that have left the church, they're like, oh yeah, they're sending me all kinds of. Script. I don't read any of them. Mm-hmm. Delete, 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 delete. I know where they're going. And it's just not sticking. It does not stick. But the problem is this becomes really contentious because what we love is under attack. And and I get that. Okay. That's why I say you have to be aware of how you respond to threat because you're going to have to defend. And, and, and the problem is this is where the contention happens in that contentious moment. Okay? Now, what happens though if quietly, secretly, you're in perplexity? And you join it. You might. If you're, if you're kind of wobbling, one of two things is going to happen, I think. Either you, it makes sense and you have a tendency. That's why sometimes if, if one sibling leaves the church, they take another sibling or two with them. They just, you, you watch this domino start to, to fall, and so everybody ends up leaving the church. They were also in perplexity and they all left. People that are quietly in perplexity are in apathy. They don't care. Can be. Well, sometimes they're an apathy, but sometimes it's like, I've had this, I'm not sure I believe in polygamy. And, and, I'm, and, I, and I be uncomfortable when we show up, we talk about this, or blacks in the priesthood. In other words, I had some doubts, but I don't dare, I'm not sure in my ward or in my family I can express my doubts. So I'm sitting on these questions 
for a long I read something and and sometimes when I when I talk to people who have left the church sometimes they've been in perplexity for years and it just takes one more thing and they're and they're out but it isn't like I was great today and then I leave the church tomorrow their perplexity has left has been festering and and I, I believe you're right sometimes it's just the only way to handle it, just become apathetic I'm not going to engage at all but it's amazing how many times people have been in turmoil for years. Yeah. In my family, there are um, 11 children. And we, at the point that we joined the church, when I was eight years old, the first I ever heard of it, uh, all but me and one other sister are out of the church. And I think they were waiting they for something. For a leader to be the spear point to go out. So they could go. So now, but they were living in some level of disbelief for a while. They were staying active, but they just weren't happy about it. And then they start getting inactive. And just, and that's where some of the apathy, I think, kicks in. And it was more of a. This is the thing our family does, but it wasn't. You could tell that when you develop your testimony, it's a different. It's different because you you know that you have a knowledge. And that the Holy Ghost has given you, and if you don't ever develop that, you don't have that. No, there's no. A lot of times, what you're finding is that the roots were that you might have, you might have been in the church all your life, but the knowledge of the church was maybe two inches deep. Yes. Okay, uh, so so my experience then, if you're in perplexity, uh, that's kind of a threatening thing that may happen. Sometimes people just go back to simplicity. They just go, okay, I'm just going to go back inside the fortress and I just don't want to hear anything more. But a lot of times when we're talking about this perplexity, you will see dominoes so that, that like w w what you were just saying happens a lot. All of my kids have left or all of my siblings have left or and you, there just seems to be a lot going on, okay? So I think the challenge... For me then, and I'm not sure that, and it's one of those things that I wrestle with a lot, and I don't have a lot of answers for it at the moment, quite frankly, other than we have to be able to ultimately have that dialogue that says, I love you, I care about you. How do, how do, we, how do we find areas of common belief and love? You know, you may not believe in my church, I may not believe what you're doing, but if we go do a soup kitchen together, maybe we can love and serve somewhere out there. Yeah. So I think part of the problem is that we sometimes feel like we need to correct the problem. Yeah. And that, yeah. Right. It is the Lord's job to correct the problem. And it's our job to it is our job love them. Yes. Yes. And once we step past the invitation, if it is not accepted, we've gone too far into the convention zone. And that invite may not necessarily be come to church. Right. That invite might be build a relationship. Come to dinner. Come, come to dinner. I, I like that. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I think our first part of harmony never happens both parties at the same time. Tends not to. Never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one party was already harmonious before the other party was able to embrace the harmony between the two. And, and so we need to first be at harmony within ourselves 
And we need to be in harmony with the gospel. And yes. We need to be in harmony with God. And God tells us not to doubt and not to fear. And we are all worried about those that we love. They're on the wrong path. How do I drag them out of their wrong path? That's right. And, and God doesn't want us to do that. No. He wants us to recognize that he's a good teacher and that they're going to be given every opportunity. Nobody is going to go to hell in ignorance. <laughs> And so just allow God to do it do, to do his thing. You know? Yes. And trust God that nobody's gonna get punished for being stupid. Well yeah. <laughs> True. And the problem sometimes the problem lies, I think, in the church is that we also look at it and we read the Book of Mormon, and Alma's understanding at the point at which he was teaching, the or the way that it was phrased, it was, you know, that that today is the day to repent, which it is. But, but, the re, but the suggestion is, and there's no repentance after death. So Alma, and, uh, Alma the Younger and Saul, I mean Paul, yeah. they were zealous against the church, okay? I don't worry about zealots who are against the church. Because as long as they're doing what they think is right. Now, if, they're, if they just want to fight. That's right. And they're not, they don't have any, any uh, you know, purpose but just to fight and their anger, then I worry about them. <laughs> do, do, do you know the moment that really kind of, when I think about that harmony, if we are loving harmoniously, do, do you know the moment in the scriptures that really strikes me uh, is the moment that, that the prodigal son rolls into town. And he's working on his, on his speech. I'll serve you. I'll earn my way back into the family. And he's showing up with, I will earn it. And he shows up and the father goes, here's the robe, here's the ring. Kill the fatted calf. He was dead, now he's alive. And I, I can't even imagine the effect on the softening of a heart that that would happen on a boy who expected to be kind of living in a shack somewhere well, he spends years trying to earn the money back, and Father is loving him and caring about him, and just it, he's met with a wall of love. And I, I think that's where we've got to be. Um, I find that oftentimes, if I put this harmony in place with my oldest, it kind of deflates her belief. Because she, she used to try and say stuff to see what I would do. Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to. It is like hugging a porcupine, right? And it's not so harmoniously, you know, like you don't feel but 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 you had to go through a process yourself about saying, okay, what do I think? What do I do? How do I handle it? Heavenly Father, help me to know what to say, what to do. Uh, and I don't think in any of your prayers, I don't think you got any answers that said send her tons of articles and argue with her and battle and do all that kind of stuff. You, you just never got any of that other than just love her. Yeah. 
Just love her. Be there. Be available. Have some boundaries. There may be some things, uh, you know, I don't care if you're smoking pot. You can smoke in my kitchen anytime. You know, go, no, no. There are some lines we're going to draw here. You know, there's some boundaries. But, but in that loving, caring, harmonious kind of way, I think we win them. And, if it, and we may not win them back into the church in this life, but we maintain a relationship because they're still part of our eternal family going forward. Okay? Uh, and I think, so, so here's, here's the deal. Um, if, we, if we flip back over, over to Messiah 27. What we're, what we're hoping for is the angel to show up. <laughs> Right? My kids, my siblings, you know, they're going to do it when the, when, uh, the angel shows up uh, and, and, and have this kind of experience. We all hope for that. Okay? Um, in some cases, we're the angel. <laughs> we're the ones that show up, but we're not, but they're not in a place to do this. But I want you to see Part of what the angel is saying, we talked about this a little bit last time. It's interesting the, the, the approach that the angel took. Now, I say unto thee, go and remember the captivi captivities of your fathers. Sometimes, rather than arguing doctrine, isn't it interesting that we have in our we have in our histories of our families and our experiences and people that we know, we have these experiences that where the Lord was gracious or that there was things that happened uh, that are really a little harder to argue against. Now, they may have a different interpretation. But it's interesting. This is where the angel goes. Uh, remember the captivity. Uh, now go your way. Don't destroy the church anymore. Uh, that their prayers may be answered. Um, now, Alma's response to that, in two days, he goes, he goes through hell. We know that. But it's still two days. And at the end of that, uh, and he's going to say more about it when we get to his discussion with Corianton. He will describe again his, his transformation process. But notice what the Lord is, is looking to do with him. And I love this. He says, uh, For said Alma, I have repented of my sins, I have been redeemed of the Lord, and I am born of the Spirit. There's no way in that moment that Alma could have paid for his sins and t repaired all the damage and everything. There's no way that he could have done that. The Lord is not looking for, when we're in the repentance process, he's not necessarily looking for us to, uh, when, when I was growing up in primary and we learned and we memorized over and over all the seven R's of repentance. You know, that you were going to have to do restoration and, and uh, report to the bishop. And I mean, there just was like seven R's. And, and the implication was, you haven't repented 
till all of these seven things have happened. And what we're seeing in the Book of Mormon is that all of those things that Alma then needs to do to go uh, tell people that he was wrong and all that happens after he's been forgiven. The forgiveness came first. And then filled with love, then he goes out to make the changes. Because the Lord wasn't interested in Alma atoning for his sins. The Lord was interested in his transformation, in changing, in making him a different creature. Because uh, the Lord said unto me, marvel not, okay, that everybody must be born again. He's not saying everybody must pay for their sins. Or, he's saying, no, you've got to be born again, 26. And thus they become new creatures. Our, our movement forward is about becoming different. And that's why I love, 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 love one of the things that they've done with the chosen, right? The, the, the chosen says, basically, in a really simple, powerful way, I was one way, now I'm another. He was the in-between. <laughs> he was the thing that happened that made me a different person. And I think that puts, if you could put the gospel into one frame, it would be, I was one way, now I'm another. He was the in-between. <laughs> and, uh, and so get used to different, because we're waiting to say, I'm only going to be redeemed if I've done all of these things and fixed all these things and I've got to be perfect, stuff like that. No, we're filled with him and transformed, we'll do all those things. We'll re complete all the ordinances. We'll do all that. It's just we will do it because we're doing it out of love and not out of fear or something like that. Yeah. So we had in our gospel doctrine class the question that arose. Well, obviously the Lord teaches in Third Nephi chapter nine that He requires now a broken heart and a conscience. Yeah. Yeah. And the question that was raised was, how broken does it need to be? <laughs> of course, it's being asked. How, how do I how do I measure how do I quantify brokenheartedness? That's right. Because <laughs> because actually mine, I'm more broken than you are, so I just needed to make sure that. The lesson <laughs> equates the broken heart and the contrite spirit with the symbolic rending of the garment. And the question is then, how torn does the garment need to be to be sufficiently rent? And the answer is. And it needs to be torn so severely that you will not wear it again in public. Yeah. Which is telling you that your heart needs to be so broken that you will not return to what was the priorities of your heart before and you get a new heart. You have to get yeah. a new one. And, and, and how many times do we go through that process, that transformation on the covenant path to go... I did it, I thought I did it, and apparently I did it again. So now I'm going to get back up, I'm going to try it again, I'll do it again, and then I'll do it again, and then I will, and then somewhere in there, it's the last time. But what, what uh, amazes me is how many people think they're going to sew their broken heart together rather than go get them. I can, <laughs> yes. I'm a guy with fake parts in his heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had your heart repaired, that's, that's certainly true. <laughs> You would know about hearts, wouldn't you? That's funny. No, I, I, I think that's true. I think in that process, that, that brokenheartedness, and one of the things I love about, by the way, about Third Nephi 9, is that he says, yeah, I healed the Lamanites, and they didn't even know it. Yeah. 
that, that this thing had a, they, their hearts were changed and they didn't even know who I was. Yeah. And see, and, and, and maybe it's one of those finishing things for us is that I believe that there are really good hearted, serving, effective, humble, wonderful atheists in the world. And someday they're going to be incredibly shocked to find out that it was the light of Christ that was lighting them up the whole time. <laughs> that was changing them and becoming better people. And when they find out the source, there's going to be some dissonance. I don't think it'll be in this life that they'll figure that out. But it's somewhere around the world they're going to find out, no, there was a reason that you were drawn to do good things and declare good news and take care of people and worry about people's state of affair and trying to feed the homeless and all that. There was a driving force behind that that you were born with. Yeah. So does that word dissonance mean my bottle doesn't work? Therefore I have to find a new bottle? <laughs> I think it does. It just when they meet the Lord, they're going to have a huge amount of dissonance between what they then know versus what they have built their model around. That's why when I talk about the fact that uh, for especially the, these people that have struggled with the church or have left the church and I keep saying give Jesus a thousand years with them. Let him, let him do his thing. But I don't think that happens that's not going to be an overnight process because there's a whole habitual thing that they've got to slowly work their way through. Okay, But they're traditions that they grew up with guys. There are things that they knew. Okay, uh, we, We've got a guy in our, our YSA ward that has come into the, the ward and he's, and he's doing some good things and everything. And now we find out he grew up in the church and he had his name removed. And there was a draw. There was a pull back to the church away from his family at his own time, at his own pace. Now, I think he's going to be rare. I don't know how many people that leave the church will come back. In the next life, I think you know, almost everybody will. But in this life, how many come back? I don't know. But here's one of those that like give them their time in their space in a loving, harmonious, caring sort of way. And things start to wake up because there were things that they were taught. Yeah. Two things. First of all, I think simplicity is, feels safe. Simplicity does feel safe. So, so you want to you want to don't want to have to leave that. But, you know, these are the latter days and we've been told that we've been brought forth for a reason. And this harmony thing takes a long time and all of us I think are going to have to go through these, these through some of these steps or maybe all of us maybe we're supposed to I think we do we're supposed to because we've got I always think when I hear anything about politics or the church who is the most angry who is the one who's going there and has the most anger and I always think you've got the problem now even if it's a church member or, or, or a non-member or whatever if you're the most angry there's something wrong that you can't deal that you can't resolve you yet can't resolve. and um, this thing about harmony it does take sometimes takes a long time but you know I learned a lesson a long time ago someone said to me we were talking about children being sealed to their parents and sometimes in divorce situations uh, different the couples will go off and get sealed to somebody else and who has the kids and who, all this ownership type thing yeah that's not a gospel principle to argue about we're all children of yeah the father and I I've learned to look upon my children as the Lord gave them to me 
to to raise and to take care of it. But we're all we're all the same children up here. We are, and and you've done a good job of loving them in spite of the choices that they've made. Okay. Um, and I, I just think that's, I think that's where we are, guys, is that I think ultimately the, the responsibility of this church is not to hide in a fortress. I think the responsibility of this church is to love the world the way the Savior loved the world and go get them and be an example. And, and we've got to do that in harmony. Well, you, we watch The Chosen. You're probably the last ones in the church to ever watch it. <laughs> By the way, season three, one, and two is pretty great, especially the last 30 minutes. Oh, man. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. Yes. And uh, those of you who haven't seen it, and James and John were just furious. They said, "You're the Messiah. You bring down." Get him! Get him! <laughs> yeah. And he looked at him like, like basically, "Are you crazy?" Yeah. <laughs> You're asking me to use the power of Heavenly Father to destroy His children. That's right. His children. And that's what they were called the Sons of Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what you got to realize, just like the people with their food storage. Oh, we hope those people who didn't do it get, you know. There is an element of that, isn't it? to happen to these people who didn't do what we <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I, I picture the people that, that are in that mindset of saying that the trucks are going to come, our food storage will be loaded on the back of the trucks, we're on our way to the tent city, and as we're driving past the stake center, we go, <laughs> so who won now? You know, there is this level of, uh, anyway. All right, well, well, let's, we need to wrap up. Um, I just think that one of the challenges that we have uh, for those of us that, that love the gospel and we're in the gospel, we're gonna, we, we are faced with this way of how we interact with those that have left the church and maybe, be, maybe even be antagonistic towards the church and finding a way to have the kind of harmonious relationship we we're just talking about that just says, we need to find a way to work together. So we're not, I, I don't want to fight. We're not going to contend. But is there some places that we can work together um, and and that, that's going to be our challenge, I think. I think it's a challenge uh, in the next few years especially. But uh, I bear you my testimony that part of what we get in the Book of Mormon is that we watch people like uh, Alma the Younger and Corey Anton and those that have struggled, Amulek, that have kind of on, been on the outs, and then you see things happen that kind of bring them back. And so there's hope, I think, on that. And, and, uh, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's not a switch. It's a different one. It's a okay. <laughs>